And so today what I want to share on in the moments that I have is how Easter reveals the power of God's love. Amen? Easter reveals the power of God's love. And in doing so, there's two aspects that I want to bring to our attention. And one of them is about a decision that was made in a garden. Two gardens, two decisions that has impacted and will continue to impact humanity. You might have cottoned onto the clue, <laughs> but I will share it later if you haven't. And then the other thing that I want to talk about also is the blood of Jesus as I share about the fact that Easter reveals the power of God's love. So that's what we're going to do. And I'm really believing in the name of Jesus that you will hear something that's going to ignite in your spirit and it's going to give you strength and give you courage to keep going forward and moving upwards and onwards in Jesus' name. Easter is a reality and Easter happened. Easter is celebrated and only because of God's love. If it wasn't for God's love, we would not have Easter. If it wasn't for God's love, he would have just let us be and not bothered with us. But he has loved us. And the word of God says that he loved us even before the foundation of the world. He had us in mind. He made the world so that he made it for us so we could inhabit it and we could have dominion and we could live in a beautiful, beautiful world that he created for us. Now, oftentimes you will hear people saying, how did God create the world in six days or whatever? But the question isn't how, the question is why. And he created it for you and he created it for me because he loves us. And you know, during this season, we actually choose to celebrate, as you've heard on what's coming up, we choose to celebrate even Good Friday. In England, we call it Good Friday. I know it's different in Deutsch, but in England, we call it Good Friday because it is a Good Friday. So we personally, as a church, do not choose to mourn on Good Friday. We choose to eat what we want and celebrate. And I say that with the utmost respect because I know there are other traditions that people have and hold on to. But the reason I want to explain to you why we do that is because we are on the other side of the cross. We are on the resurrection side of the cross. We are a people who are celebrating our risen Lord. So we are not mourning our dead hero. We are praising and remembering our risen Lord. So that's why you and I can actually rejoice on the other side of the cross. Now, if you and I had been there on the day that Jesus was crucified, I'm sure we would have been absolutely as devastated as the disciples and the other believers and followers, because then it looked so hopeless. It looked like the hope of humanity. It looked like, what, it looked like everything they had believed in was, had been brought to naught. How could their savior, how could the one who was going to free them from Roman oppression, etc., now be hanging on a cross, being mocked and shamed and cajoled? So I can understand that then, but you know what? That's not our story today, because we know he is risen and he is Lord. Amen. So we're celebrating our risen Lord. And you know, on what's coming up, we also saw, and many of you will be familiar with the campaign of cross equals love. We're familiar with the sign, aren't we? The cross equals heart. Cross equals love. You know, last year when we were putting them up, somebody, a passerby was like, cemetery equals love. And I thought to myself, that's actually really sad that people don't realize that sign means the cross. Amen. That's why, church, we have to reclaim Easter in our city. That's why we need all of us on board. We don't need any of us sleeping and being unaware 
of the potential and the opportunity that is in front of us. Amen? So, but for the purpose of illustrating the message today, I asked Daniel if he would switch it around and if he would actually put love equals cross. Why? Because it actually tells us that Easter reveals the power of God's love. If it wasn't for God's love, we would not be celebrating Easter. It's without a shadow of a doubt that the most amazing acts of love that has ever been demonstrated towards humanity, towards you and towards myself, is the cross. The love of God, the cross. You know, personal story for me was that, you know, I grew up in church. I'm, I was four days old when my mother and father took me to church. I'm 54 years old. I've always been in church. I've always loved the house of God. I've always loved Jesus, not because of the cleverness of me, but just because of the grace of God. I've always loved him. And, you know, there's a Sunday school song. And as I was preparing this message, there were so many old hymns, you know, because like I'm Ancient of Days. So there was all these hymns that we used to sing in church. And they kept coming up. And I found myself humming away to lots of these little songs that we actually sang in church on a regular basis. And the one that is my favorite was Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. I'm sure many of you know that song, yeah? The Sunday school song, Give Me a Wave, if you know that song. Jesus loves me, this I know. I was just about to break out into song, <laughs> but I shan't do that. Um, but this was based on the familiar verse, John 3, verse 16. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And I particularly love how it is expressed in the Amplified Version. It says in the Amplified Version, For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave his one and only begotten son. So that whoever, whoever means whoever, so it sounds like it's exclusive. It is, but it's also inclusive because it's for everyone. There is only one way to God. And that's true, Jesus. He said he's the life, the way, the truth. You can't get to the Father but through Jesus. So it sounds like it's exclusive. And yes, it is in that regard. But it's massively inclusive because it says whosoever, whosoever believes and trusts in him as Savior shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved you, God so loved me that he gave his one and only son. God has always loved and desired to be, have a relationship with humanity, with you and with me. But before I elaborate any more on God's love, I want us to take a look in the time that we have at a story, two stories, location, two gardens, two choices that impacted humanity. This one story is a story of disobedience that led to death and destruction. The other story is a story of obedience that has led us to life eternal. Amen? And in Romans 5, verse 18 to 19, it shows these two stories. In the trans Passion Translation, it says this, In other words, just as condemnation came upon all people through one transgression, so through one righteous act of Jesus' sacrifice, the perfect righteousness that makes us right with God and leads us to a victorious life is now available to all. Verse 19 goes on to say, One man's disobedience opened the door for all humanity to become sinners. So also one man's obedience opened the door for many to be made perfectly right with God and acceptable to him. 
So disobedience, as I'm sure many of you will have gathered, happened in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And obedience happened in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. And I am so thankful for the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm so thankful for Jesus. You know, Adam and Eve, back in the day when they were created, they were created in the image of God. God said, let us make man in our image. And God is a spirit. So God created Adam and Eve's spirit, soul, and body. He created them to have a beautiful relationship with him. And he put them in this amazing garden that he'd created for them. And he said, it is all yours. You can enjoy it. You can make it better. It's all yours. I created it for you with love and care and affection. Enjoy. But there is one tree, and it was right in the center, apparently, of the Garden of Eden. And I think that is so vital. God wants us to keep him center, center of our lives. There's nothing wasted in the Bible. This tree was in the center of the Garden of Eden, and it was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said to Adam and Eve, do not eat from that tree, because the day you eat from that tree, you will surely die. But unfortunately, they were deceived by Satan that had come to them in the form of a serpent. And they actually disobeyed God and they sinned. Because whenever we elevate anything or anyone above God and his ways, it's sin. Like we can be very black and white about sin, but we've all sinned and, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We do. Because anything we elevate above him, anything that we do that is not of him, hey, you with me? So they did. They, they, they were deceived and they, they did the opposite to what God had told them to do. And literally they died. Now they did not die that day because back in those days they lived for years and years and years and years. Must have been all that non-polluted oxygen and, you know, organic fruit and stuff. But they lived for years and years, decades and decades and decades, actually hundreds of years back at the beginning when you read the Bible. They didn't die physically that day, but they did die. They died spiritually because at that moment, they were disconnected from God. Their spirit that was alive to him, their spirit that was created in his image, was separated from him and it became dead. You know, that's where we get the saying born again. Because it's not some weird Christian kind of whatever. It became a bit like a weird Christian something or another, but it's actually not. What it means, it's very simple. It just means that when we make Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, his spirit comes to live in our spirit again as it should be, as it was first intended to. And that's why we say we're born again. It's really simple. It's not fruity loopy. It's really simple. Amen? But they, they, their spirit was separated from God Almighty. And what did they do? They do what most of us do when we've done things wrong. They actually ran away from God and tried to hide from him. Instead of running to him, they ran away from him. And I'm here to say, let's be people that will run to the house of God. We will run to God. We'll tell him we messed up. He knows we messed up, but let's just come running to him. Because he's that wonderful, heavenly, beautiful father that loves us so much. His arms are constantly open saying, come home come home. Let's, you know, you messed up over the weekend. Be in the house of God on Sunday so that you can, you can be encouraged with what he knows you are. The real you. That's the Holy Spirit is not here to condemn us. The Holy Spirit is to convict us and remind us of who we are in Christ Jesus. And when we get a revelation of that, it actually makes you less likely to go and keep messing up. Seriously, the grace of God doesn't make us more sinful. The grace of God compels us to love him and give our life to him more. Amen. 
But Adam and Eve, they ran away from him. But God, in Genesis 3, we see how God came and he came looking for them. He came looking for them. And that's what he does to us. That's what he's doing today. He's come to look for you. And I love that you are here. You know, with all these posters that are going up, he's looking for people. He's going to lead people that way so that they can see those posters. They can think and, under, uh, and ponder and ask, if you're really real, can you reveal yourself to me? And he will. He will. In Genesis 3, like I said, we see how God went looking for them, and he found them. And you know what he did? It's so beautiful because in 3 verse 21, we see how God, you know, they were ashamed, they were naked, they were, they were aware of their humanity and their sinful nature. Gosh, can you imagine making that mistake? Lips sake. Honestly, that dawning of what have we done? What have we done? But Jesus, he, God, he covered their nakedness. And you know what he did? He actually sacrificed an animal because he needed to take the skin off an animal to make clothing for them so that he could clothe them and cover their wrong. And it's amazing because he's been doing that ever since. How beautiful. But note, I just want you to note that this was the first time a blood, blood was shed for mankind. And God did it back then, and he did it with Jesus. Amazing, amazing. In Hebrews 9 verse 22, it says, The law says that almost everything must be made clean by blood. Sins cannot be forgiven without a blood sacrifice. Adam and Eve's choice in the Garden of Eden led them to death and destruction. And they needed God to cover their nakedness and their sin. But as we read earlier, Jesus' obedience in the Garden of Gethsemane restored humanity into a loving relationship. And the account of this story is found in, in Luke and in Matthew, but I'm reading the Luke one. Luke 22, verses 39 to 44. So it's quite a few verses. So don't fall asleep. The word is life. It's truth. It's not blank ink on white paper. It is life. And we're a Bible-based church, so I figured scriptures are okay. Yep. <laughs> so Luke 22, verses 39 to 44. This is speaking of Jesus. It says, And he came out, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he came out and went, as was his habit, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he arrived at the place called Gethsemane, he said to them, Pray continually that you may not fall into temptation. That is what Adam and Eve fell into, temptation. And he's saying, pray continually that you do not fall into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup of divine wrath from me. Yet not my will, but always yours be done. What was Jesus doing here? Jesus was asking God because he knew what was ahead of him. He was asking his heavenly father, if it is possible, if there is any legal loophole that we can go through to prevent me from having to go through what I need to go through for humanity, can you please release me of this? However, if there isn't, not my will, but your will be done. How powerful is this? Verse 43 says, now an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And I am so thankful for this angel because I have no idea what Jesus was suffering. I don't think we will ever understand what he did and what he went through for us. In verse 44, it says, and being in agony, deeply distressed and anguished, almost to the point of death, he prayed more intently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down on the ground. 
Now, medical research has proven that the greatest state of anxiety a person can experience can result in sweat drops of blood. And that's what our Jesus, that's what your Savior and your Lord, my Savior and my Lord went through so that we could call him Savior and we could call him Lord. You know, a few months ago, I watched a documentary on two elderly gentlemen who had been at Dunkirk. And they actually actually said that when they got off the ship and they got onto the shore, they were just wet with what they thought was just water and sweat. But it wasn't when they looked down, it was red and it was blood. And they said they had literally sweat blood. They had been so anxious. And it's the highest state of anxiety a person can experience when they sweat drops of blood, which is why you don't hear of it so often. But our Jesus went through that. He went through that for us. Jesus knew what lay ahead of him. And he knew that it was not just a physical death alone that he was going to die. Jesus' crucifixion was to be a spiritual death too, just like Adam and Eve when they were separated from God because that is what happened to Jesus. He was so full of sin. He took on the sins of the world, the past, present, and the future sins of the world. Bear in mind, he took our sins and we weren't even born 2,000 years ago. So it was past, present, and future. And a result of that, he was prepared to be separated from his heavenly father. He had never been separated from his father before. He'd never known existence without the father. The Trinity had always been God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And now he knew that he was going ahead to pay the price for humanity, pay the price once and for all for humanity. He was going ahead into the dark abyss of being separated from his heavenly father. It's incredible. It's incredible. Why would he do this? Why would he do this for you? Why would he do this for me without knowing that we would say yes to him? He did it before he knew we would say yes to him. And so many, you know, so many people have said no to him and rejected him. Back then when he was walking on planet earth, but also after he's risen, people have chosen to reject him. But he still died for them. He still died for them. Why did he do that? He did that because he loves us. He loves us. There is nothing else that could keep you on a cross. There's nothing else that could actually, what else could it possibly be? That's why we do not need to look for any other reason for God to love us. We don't need to look to anything, whether we've got the person we wanted to marry, whether we've got the job we wanted, whether we've got the health we wanted. None of that actually is significant when it comes to God's love. He loves you regardless. This is what defines whether he loved you or not. Amen? Amen? It was his love for you and I that moved him to this extraordinary, extravagant act of not my will, but your will be done. Your will be done. He knew that he would experience and take on all humanity's sin. John 1 verse 29, John the Baptist himself called Jesus the sinless lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The sinless lamb of God because you know they used to sacrifice lambs and bulls and doves. All of that was happening in the Old Testament to atone for the sins of human humanity. And atonement means to cover. It was covered. It was covered. But it would have to be covered again and covered again and covered again until Jesus came. Until Jesus came. And he actually paid a price that actually didn't just cover our sins. It actually washed them away. There's a scripture in the Bible that says, though my sins are red like crimson, his blood washes them whiter than snow. His blood washes us whiter than snow. 
So we can see, we can see that through the cross and the death of Jesus and the shedding of his precious blood, that God brought back what was once his. And what I find even more incredible, if I had bought something back that was once mine, I'll tell you, I'll make sure they stayed mine. But no, he doesn't do that. He still gives us a choice. He gives us a choice to make him Lord and Savior. He gives us a choice to love him back. And what an honor, what a privilege that we get to love him. We get to honor him. I love what we were singing in the song. We're going to honor that love. Going to honor that love. How beautiful. It was because of his everlasting, which means forever and ever and ever, unconditional love for us that God sent Jesus. And it was because of Jesus' everlasting and unconditional love for us that he came. It's beautiful. We have been forgiven of our sins. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says that in him we have redemption through the blood, through his blood. That is why communion is a big deal, so that we can remind ourselves of this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Because of Jesus' shed blood, God is able to forgive us for our sins because the punishment that we deserved was put onto Christ. It was put onto Christ. And Jesus, he explained this so beautifully when he actually took the bread. In, in Matthew, we read how he took the bread and he broke the bread and they drank the wine when they took the Last Supper. And in the message translation, it says, during the meal, because they classed it as a meal, it was a meal. That's why communion isn't just the little cup and the little thing. You know when we have our dinner parties and we eat together? When we're talking about Jesus, reminding ourselves of what he's done, what he's doing, what he's going to do? It's communion. That's why dinner parties are more than just eating. They're dinner parties with purpose. They remind us of who we are, amen? During the meal, Jesus took and blessed the bread, broke it and gave it to his disciples. Take, eat, this is my body. Taking the cup and thanking God, he gave it to them. He said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood, God's new covenant poured out for many people for the forgiveness of sins. It took the blood of Jesus to forgive us of our sins, not just to cover them up, but to forgive us of our sins. It took his spotless, pure, holy blood to forgive us. And you know, taking communion, I really encourage all of us to take communion. Take it as often as you want to. That's what the Bible says. Take it as often as you want to. Enjoy, enjoy what he has done for us. You know, I love it when Jesus was walking with the disciples on the road after he had risen from the dead. He was walking on the road with two disciples. They didn't recognize him. They were so full of sorrow that their Savior, that their Lord had been crucified and he was dead. They didn't recognize him. And it wasn't until they took bread, took communion, he broke bread and gave them wine and gave them the bread that they were, the truth was revealed. And that for me, that really signifies, I think that when we, if you want to know some things, why don't we just go to take communion and have an expectant heart that he's going to reveal truth to us? He did it back then. I reckon he wants to do it today. Let's take communion and expect him to reveal the truth to us that we need to know. Amen. And so, you know, we, we used to take communion all the time when I was a kid. So um, some of you might know that I, I was a pastor's kid. My dad was a minister, missionary pastor. And um, we took communion every Sunday. We took communion at home. We took communion in our connect groups. We were always taking communion. And us kids loved it because there was a special juice that the blood was. And it was Ribena. So if you don't know, if you're not from England, you won't know what Ribena is, but it's special and it's lovely and it's delicious. And as a kid, you just want to take communion all the time because you knew you're going to get Ribena. 
So on Sundays, we would take communion. And, um, you know, my dad would come and it would be in those big goblets. You know, we've got these nice little hygienic ones. You little shot and put it in the bin and whatever. But back then, it was these big silver goblets. So my dad would come and he'd give it to the person that was there. Then he'd wipe it with his napkin and give it to the next person. Wipe. And, you know, sometimes we'd, if you just had the crackers, then you could see little bits floating in there. So you wanted to be at the front. <laughs> you wanted to be at the front. Are you on Sunday mornings? We all was fighting for the front seat because we wanted that Ribena first. <laughs> my dad thought we were all holy, but it's because we wanted the Ribena. But um, so this Sunday, my dad came by and I was there. And um, I got hold of the goblet. And then I put it to my mouth. And I didn't just take a little sip like you're supposed to. I started to... And I was holding on to it, and my dad was trying to get it off me, and we were eyeballing each other. <laughs> he was trying to, he's, it was starting to shake, and I was still going for it. And I just glugged away at that Ribena. Ah, delicious. I can remember that. But my dad, he was, he just thought, well, what am I going to do with this girl? It's going to be nobody, no Ribena left for anybody else. <laughs> so he got his really long fingers, and he got his finger, and he just flicked me, and I let go. And he actually never told me off. He just gave me a little, he never told me off. But also my younger brother, you know, because I think sometimes we don't talk so much about the blood of Jesus, but because we think it's a bit weird. But I do remember my younger brother, my, my older brother, he was just a toddler. My mom told us this story how they were, he was in the trolley, in the little seat of the trolley at the grocery store, and he saw Ribena on the shelf. And he started shouting, Mommy, the blood of Jesus. Can we buy the blood of Jesus? And my mom was like, people were looking. She was like, shh. He's like, no, I want the blood of Jesus. <laughs> but you know what? I think we need to, Ribena or not, wine, the real thing, whatever, just get this jolly communion happening, hey? And let's just trust God to reveal truth to us. Ribena, we still love Ribena. Because my parents never drank wine, and so we had Ribena with sparkly water at Christmas. <laughs> so, but no, let's just get serious now. The blood that Jesus shed on Calvary was the ultimate once and for all sacrifice that humanity needed for the forgiveness of our sins. And you know, the truth, you know, as I said, I was listening and humming some songs as I was um, writing this, but there's a beautiful song about the blood of Jesus that we used to sing. And we didn't just sing it once or twice like we sing songs now. We would sing it 20, 30 times. It'd go on and on. We never had a time frame for church when I was growing up. It just went on till it was done. So Robert Lowry is a gentleman that wrote this song in 1876. And it's a song that says nothing but the blood of Jesus. I don't know how many of you know it. Give me a wave if you do. We might break out into song then. But it said, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And we used to sing that song. And we used to drink the Ribena. And you know what? I've decided I'm going to start singing that song again. And I'm going to really commit to taking communion as often as I want to. Because that's what Jesus said I can do. But you know what? There was more than just this physical death and the, the shedding of his blood. Pastor Brian's book is There Is More, and there was more. When Jesus gave up his spirit, he actually descended into hell. And he was tormented by Satan and his cohorts because they thought they had won a victory. Oh boy, did they get a surprise on the third day. But it was more than dying a physical death for Jesus. It was a spiritual death, as I said before. It was a separation from his heavenly father. And Jesus had never experienced this. 
the weight of the sin of the world was absorbed into his very being. And I often wonder that because of all the evil and depravity of mankind throughout all the ages that was put on him, I sometimes wonder that perhaps, perhaps he, he was disfigured and unrecognizable, not just because of the barbaric crucifixion and beatings, but perhaps he was disfigured unrecognizable because he was contorted as a result of absorbing the evil of a fallen world. He who knew no sin became sin, so that you and I, who had been born into sin, could be made righteous. And I think no wonder the disciples ran away, because they looked on the man that they loved, who they knew and expected to be their savior, but he became everything God hated, because he took on everything. That's crazy. That's crazy. I'm telling you, what kept him there was his love for you. It was his love for you. Don't ever doubt his love for you. Hebrews 12 verse 2 tells us it was for the joy set before him that he endured the shame and being despised on the cross for the joy that was set before him because he knew of you. He saw you in the future. He could have called 10,000 angels he could have said, not your will, God, but mine, get me out of here. But he didn't. For his love for you, his love for me kept him on the cross until he was able to say, it is finished. It is finished. And you know, in preparing this message, I found some inf you know, wonderful information on a Greek phrase for it is finished. There's another meaning that was used when people were released from prison for not paying their debts. And it meant the debt is paid in full. So when Jesus was hanging on the cross and crying out, it is finished, as he gave up his spirit, he was actually saying, the debt is paid in full. Oh, it is finished. The debt is paid in full. And there was another song we used to sing as well. It was called, I owed a debt I couldn't pay. He paid a price he didn't owe. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, for Jesus came and he washed my sins away. Jesus' love has led, it's really been the most extravagant act of love that humanity has ever seen. See, God's plan was always Jesus and it always will be Jesus. See, Adam and Eve, they messed up completely, but our Heavenly Father, full of love, came looking for them. And I love that because it's exactly what God does today, exactly what he's doing right now. He's looking for you. He's wanting to woo your heart. He's wanting to know that he loves you and he has a plan for you. He gets involved despite our madness, despite our mistakes, despite the messes that we're getting ourselves into. He gets involved. His love is towards you regardless of our sins, regardless of our imperfections, regardless of our bad choices. He continually is reaching out to us. He comes looking for us and he's looking for you. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, Long before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So before you and I made a decision to love him back, he loved us. His love was not based on your behavior or my behavior, but it was based on the fact that he is love and he chooses to love you. He chooses to love me. You see, God is love. That's why it's not based on what we do. It's based on him. He is love. 1 John 4 verse 8, the second part of it says, For God is love. 
The Amplified Version says he is the originator of love and it is an enduring attribute of his nature. This means it's never ending. His love is never ending. His love is everlasting. It goes on and on forever and ever and ever. He is love and he loves you and he loves me. How amazing is that? That even before we were born, even before we accepted his gift of salvation, he loved us. And God's love God is love. He loves you. And that, like I said before, is the foundation of everything we believe. It is the gospel. It is the good news. It's the reason for salvation. And it's what the world needs to hear, which is why I really want to encourage all of us to play our part in building what he said he would build so we can get the message of the good news of the love of God out to all of those that we possibly can. Because the days are short. There is a time frame. Jesus went and then he's coming back. There is a time frame. Let us never get complacent in Jesus' name. That's why I want to encourage you to be part of spreading the message. Encourage you to keep coming back to the house of God. Encourage you to come back tonight so that we can change the atmosphere in our city and we can see God's kingdom advance in our city. Amen? I want you to listen to this love that God has for us. Listen to the scripture in John 17, the 23rd verse. It says, Jesus is praying to God for those of us who believe in him, which is us lot. But in this portion of scripture, he prayed that the world may know that you have sent me. This is what Jesus was saying to God, that the world may know, God, that you sent me and you have loved them as you have loved me. How can that be? How can God love us the same way he loves Jesus? When Jesus was a pure, sinless lamb that was sacrificed for us and paid the price for us. How can it be? What amazing love, agape kind of love. I think the agape kind of love is actually a love that humanity, we will never really understand. It's the love that comes from God because he is love. I think it's outrageous, extravagant, wonderful love. I think it's amazing that you and I get to receive the same measure of love as Jesus when we weren't the ones on the cross. How generous, how extravagant, how ridiculously wonderful. No wonder we celebrate. No wonder we gather, no wonder we shout, no wonder we dance, no wonder we get excited. No wonder we celebrate all of Easter. Because Easter reveals the power of God's love. And I just want to finish again with John 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. In Jesus' name, amen.